This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, world-renowned Mike Missanelli Podcast. Podcast number 66 is today's podcast, and we're doing it on Thursday, March the 30th. Now, uh, let me just talk about March a little bit here. Uh, March supposedly comes in like a lion, goes out like a lamb. Ain't no lion this year. Whatever you're going to be snow or cold weather, no lion at all. And right now, ain't no lamb because I just went outside. It's 41 degrees. So hopefully it'll warm up as we get into April. Of course, today is opening day and we're all excited about opening baseball day. We'll talk about that in a second. Of course, the podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Get the Bet Rivers app and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast. Uh, so it will come right to your, your doorstep. It will come right to your phone automatically with no muss or no fuss. You won't have to search for it, but the people who haven't done that yet, if you're searching for the Mike Missinelli podcast, tell your friends and neighbors that you can get it anytime on any podcast network like Apple iTunes and Spotify and Amazon and Google, anywhere you get your uh, podcast. All right, uh, so uh, let me see uh, what today will bring in 41-degree weather. I don't, I don't know what to do today. You see, I'm in this semi-retired life. So uh, you know what I'm thinking of doing? Uh, Darren DeGatano is my producer. Darren, I'm thinking of actually uh, uh, washing out my hot tub today. Classic example of white people problems, right? Uh, this is what this is what I had to do today. I could get my power washer out and clean out my hot tub so I can fill it. So in a couple of days, I get that nice 104 degree warmth uh, with the swirling hot tub. That is a terrible problem. Uh, I know I have to invent little things to do to occupy my time after I put all my dedication into doing this wonderful podcast. Okay, so what do you get on this podcast? Let me just tell you about the podcast. What you get here, um, what do I do? Well, same as it ever was, to quote the uh, talking heads, right? If you listen to my radio show, you you know how I do it. It's It's kind of balls out radio, balls out honesty. We, we try to get great guests. We, we talk about sports and life. We don't hold back anything. We try to make it fun and informative. So let's kick it off with today, opening day, and your fighting Phils in a couple of hours open their season in Arlington, Texas against the Texas Rangers. By the way, Texas Rangers are a surprise team. A lot of people think they're going to be really good with Bruce Boshi down there. And today, a uh, pretty good pitching matchup. Aaron Nola versus Jacob DeGrom. Uh, the Rangers are favored in this game at minus 135. Now, I've, I want to first say I tip my cap to anybody who can bet baseball and master it because I can't. I don't bet baseball. I have no idea how to bet baseball. So much depends on whether the starting pitcher is going to be good or not. Uh, and so I, how can you tell? Like You're going to get a bullpen game and, and you bet one side and the starting pitcher has to go out. He's got a blister. Well, you, you can't. It's impossible to bet. But so. God bless you people who bet baseball and who are successful betting baseball. Uh, Texas being minus 135 today, that's a that's a Texas line. That's a Rangers line. So if I'm going to use the misselling method to apply it to baseball today, I would probably bet the Rangers. But one of 162 really doesn't matter whether they win or lose today. But let's look at the Phillies. Let's give our, our Phillies preview today. First of all, 
Todd Zalecki is going to join us in a little bit. Todd covers uh, the uh, Phillies for MLB.com. And so uh, we'll, we'll get his take on, on uh, from the beat writer who's been there every day through spring training to see what they are and what they aren't. And what they are is a pretty good team. I mean, let's face it, what they did last year in the lineup they put out every day, they're going to be uh, in the hunt uh, and they're going to be a playoff team. Now, where they figure in the playoffs remains to be seen. Can they win their division, get a bye? I don't know if I'm willing to go that far for a number of reasons. All right, let's let's uh, let's see what the Phillies have now in a 26-man roster. We'll go to the, the final uh, uh, number of, of players and uh, who is going to be on this roster. So we'll start with the starting lineup, which is uh, eight players, obviously, and we'll go from catcher on. So we'll start JT, Derek Hall, Bryson Stott, Trey Turner, Alec Bohm. From right to left in the outfield, Castellanos, Marsh, and Schwarber. All right, so that's eight which means you got your five starting pitchers. It will be interesting to see who their starting pitchers are and in what rotation they will have early on beyond the first two. We've got Nola and Wheeler. Now, will they split the left-handers? Will they make Strom or uh, uh, Falter the uh, three-starter uh, 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 and then come back with Taiwan Walker at four and either Strom or Falter is your fifth starter until Ranger Suarez gets back, uh, and uh, and also whether Matt Painter is going to be part of it. So that's your rotation right now. Your bullpen, eight in the bullpen right now. So let's go with the Bulls early. Bulls on parade. Um, the Dominguez, Alvarado, Soto, the three hard thrower at the top. Uh, Brogdon, Kimbrell, and a surprise, Junior Marte, Bilotti and Andrew Vasquez, the left-hander who will make it because Nick Nelson is a little banged up. So there is your eight. They've got um, they have three lefties in that bullpen, which is really interesting. Uh, okay, so uh, that's eight plus eight plus five. That's 21. Five extra players are left, and here they are. Josh Harrison, probably Jake Cave, who had a great spring training. For, uh, uh, Garrett Stubbs, your backup catcher. Edmundo Sosa, your backup infielder, very valuable player. And now it comes down to the last uh, roster spot. It looked like it was going to be Dalton Guthrie, but the Phillies yesterday make an interesting trade. They get rid of a minor league relief pitcher for a guy who was once a highly touted prospect in the Braves system, Christian Pache. Now, a couple of years ago, that guy was ticketed to be the Braves starting center fielder. Didn't work out. He couldn't hit. Michael Harris comes in there, and that was the end of Pache's career as a Brave. But he's 24 years old with a lot of upside. Hasn't proven he can hit yet. Dynamic speed, dynamic defender. Will he be that last guy? We'll know by the start of today's game, whether it be Guthrie or Pache on the roster. So there is your Phillies roster. Now, the predictions for over-under number and wins for the Phillies is 88-and-a-half right now. Uh, I am inclined to go under, and here's why. The starting pitching a little iffy early, and if it's iffy, you got to use your bullpen a lot. I don't like that dynamic. you got the first base situation now where Hall's going to play, try to hit lefties, hasn't proven to hit, that he can hit lefties, which means you got to move Bohm over there against left-handed pitchers. I don't like that idea either to move Bohm. I think he's maintained some comfortability at third base. I don't want to interfere with that, but that's what they're going to have to do. And Bryce Harper, of course, won't join him until June. So with all that going on, I don't know if they're capable of winning 90 games. 88 and a half, it almost seems too easy to go over. So that's why I'm going to go under. Not that it really matters because it's all about the playoffs anyway. So let's look uh, at the playoffs. Now, I, I tried to... To, to do to predict, it's hard to predict, but everybody loves the Braves. So let's start with the National League. National League East, I have it this way. Braves, Phillies, Mets, and that's really all that counts because you go way down and you got the Marlins and the Nationals. All right, so we go uh, to the uh, middle division where the Cardinals are always going to be good. They play in an inferior division. They're probably always going to win that division, and the Brewers are a little weakened. So I go Cardinals, Brewers, and then way down. A lot of people like the Cubs. You know, not so fast, my friends, with the Cubs. All right? They might be improved. They're not going to get in a playoff race, I don't think. So it goes Cubs, Pirates, Reds. Cubs, okay. Pirates and Reds stink, stank. All right, let's go to the NL West. Uh, You know, the Dodgers are predicted to win 95 games. And I think they're considerably weaker this year. I just have a feeling that they're a little weaker. So I've got the Padres. Running away with that division. Now, I'll go Padres, Do- Dodgers, and then 
you know, then you go to the lower tier with the Giants, Diamondbacks, and the Rockies. So now that sets up the playoffs. I always love to look ahead at the playoffs and see where the Phillies uh, can can uh, settle in here. So uh, in the playoffs, uh, I got the number one seed is the Padres. The number two seed is the Braves, which means in your wild card matchup, three versus six, I got the Dodgers in the three hole versus the Cardinals. And the winner of that series would play the number two seed, which I believe will be the Braves. And then the four and five wild card will be the Phillies against the Mets. And the winner of that series will play the number one Padres. That's the way I have the playoffs coming down. Now, the Padres have revenge in that kind of a series. So the Phillies get past the Mets in the playoffs. They got the Padres waiting for them. And I think the Padres are loaded for bear this year. Let's go to the American League. Oh, everybody loves the Yankees. And I'm so sick and tired of people loving the Yankees. I, I really don't see where the Yankees are, are going to be any better than the Toronto Blue Jays this year. So if you give the Astros the number one seed, I'll make the Blue Jays the number two seed, which sets up wild card three versus six, Yankees three versus the Cleveland um, um, uh, what are they? <laughs> the Cleveland. What's Cleveland's nickname, Darren? <laughs> the, the, the Guardians. The Cleveland Guardians, Terry Tito Francona squad. So the Yanks will beat the Guardians, and that uh, gives them the right to face the number one Astros in the next series, which would be a hell of a series. And then the four versus five, I got the Mariners, the four seed, versus the Twins at the fifth seed. So uh, they would, the winner of that plays the number two Blue Jays. I just think the Blue Jays are in for a special season this year. So that's the way I have it shaken out in the playoffs uh, with the Phillies getting a wild card spot, not unlike uh, last year. Now, where are the trouble spots for the Phillies? Well, it's obvious, and we'll get to talk to Todd Zalecki about this, starting pitching is not as hardy as you would like it to be. It looked like it was going to be hardy earlier until the guys started going down when you had the excitement of Andrew Painter in there. And you thought the third starter would be Ranger Suarez. So that's taken a little detour at this point. But here's the other thing. Um, Zach Wheeler, I hope, gets back to full strength. Now, in, in my experience, pitchers who start to wane a little bit, who are power pitchers, I don't know, get back to the top of the mountain. So I'm worried about whether Zach Wheeler could be the same dominant pitcher that he was last year. He wore down last year. I, I mean, I, I don't know. When you get older, do you, do you, get, do you get more pep? I, I don't know. To me, that's, that's a, a major concern. I don't have a concern about Nola. I think Nola's going to be Nola. I think it's really interesting that they've decided to put the negotiations for his contract on hold. I, I don't know what that's about. Do they doubt Nola? Do they not want to play go, pay going rate? It's, it's weird. Going rate is what it is. I mean, you can't really stop it. At this point, if guys like Carlos Rodon are going to get paid the way they get paid, I would think the Phillies would say, well, I guess we have no choice but to pay the guy. So that's kind of weird. Uh, the other thing, of course, is the first base dynamic. And Derek Hall's got power. I like him. Hasn't been able to hit left-handers. And, um, and people say to me, well, this is going to be different. I go, why? He's, he's like 26. going to be 27 years old. Hasn't been able to hit left-handers. So I don't know what clicks. Uh, Ryan Howard. As, as great a player he was, really had trouble against lefties his entire career. I, I don't know what makes people think that Derek Hall is going to be okay as an everyday player, which means he's not going to be an everyday player, which means you got to jockey that first base position uh, with, um, I, you know, Sosa's going to have to play there. Bohm's going to have to play there. Come on, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe JT plays there a little bit. Um, so, I mean, that worries me a tad. And, and also uh, the right-handed DH uh, worries me a tad. I, I don't know what the, if you got Cave as the left-handed DH. Who's your right-handed hitting DH? They they really don't have anybody with with some pop as right-handed DH unless you want to make Sosa the right-handed DH. But you would like to preserve him for maybe a, a late-inning defensive replacement sometimes. So I, I don't really know what they're going to do with that particular situation. But um, the Phillies are a good solid team, and tonight it kicks it off. There's nothing more exciting than a baseball season starting. It's a long season. You, you follow them. You go up and down with the team. You bitch and you moan. Uh, maybe this is a year that Rob Thompson doesn't have the magic that he had last year, and you'll hear the fan base complain. So, you know, it was, he was a one-year manager. Now you got to change it. I think things like that. We, we need a boa in there. You know what people are going to say. We, we need somebody to stir these guys a little bit. So, baseball season, to me, is a wonderment. 
I just flow with it. I don't get excited from one game to the next. It's a long season. I know this. The Phillies are a good enough team to be in the playoffs, and the Phillies are probably good enough if they get lucky to maybe win the, the, the National League and get to the World Series again. We'll see if that happens. My sense is that they probably won't, but uh, at least it's a, it's a season of excitement, and it's coming off a basketball season, uh, and the Phillies may have to save the basketball season, folks, because God forbid the Sixers go out in the second round again, then the Phillies become this town's salvation until September when the Eagles start. So uh, I'll just say that right now. All right, so there you go. That's uh, my Phillies preview for today. It's the Mike Nussanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's continue with the baseball theme. Very exciting. Opening day baseball, always exciting. And uh, let's bring in the man who covers the Philadelphia Phillies, the Phillies beat writer for MLB. His name is Todd Zalecki. Of course, you remember him as a longtime baseball writer for the Philly Inquirer. And he's back home after a long spring training. Uh, Todd, how you feeling these days? I'm, uh, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. I'm home. Uh, my wife is due with baby number three at, you know, any day now. So this is this is the first spring train. I started covering the Phillies in April of 2003. This is the first time I will miss an opening day. So it's 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 exciting. It's but it's also very very weird. I was just telling my wife I just it, this is just strange. It's just a strange feeling to be home and like having to watch the game on TV today. Yeah, well, you're like the rest of us tonight. You know, we're watching the game on TV t- and taking your notes uh, that way. So uh, let me uh, get your impressions now as, as we embark on a, on a new season. It's kind of odd because I can't figure out uh, what they're going to be during a regular season. I know they're a good team. Uh, and it was kind of a disjointed spring training with the World Baseball Classic and all that. So what were your general impressions of what you saw down there? Well, I, I, I will say this. I think Trey Turner is going to be a perfect fit for this city. I, I really think he's going to be, I mean, I think fans are going to absolutely love him. I wish I could have seen him play more there. Like you mentioned, he was gone for the World Baseball Classic. But I think having a guy like that, I almost feel like fans don't really know what they're getting yet out of Trey Turner because I think he is that good of a player. I, I wrote a story early in spring, uh, and Charlie Manuel and Larry Boa both brought up comps to uh, Chase Utley in terms of, Power, high batting average, speed, uh, just you know, kind of grit, and so I, I think that's he's going to be a, just a force at the top of the lineup. Larry Boa talked about him as a disruptor. He said, you know, you get him on first base in the seventh inning, tie game, and now with the new pickoff rules and things like that, now the the pitcher maybe takes his focus off the batter, and and then throws a fastball down the heart of the plate. Now Schwarber's up there. Hits a bomb, you know, so I think there's that impact. Um, I, I think their pitching staff is better. Um, I am a little nervous about the depth of the starting pitching staff with Ranger Suarez being down and having some elbow issues. They've kind of shown some starting depth issues. But uh, I think overall, though, I think this team should be a lot of fun to watch. And I think they should be right there with the Mets and Braves. All right, let's talk about some um, uh, some possible snags here before we get into into the meat of things. So the the first thing we need to talk about the, the final roster. Did they are they keeping Pash and not Guthrie? They just made a trade for Christian Pash, a high, a high ceiling guy who really hasn't produced, but a, a very high, highly touted prospect back in the day and only twenty four years old. Is he on the roster? And Guthrie is not. I don't know if it's going to be Guthrie. I would suspect it's going to be Guthrie. I guess it also could maybe be Jake Cave. So. He, uh, Christian Pache does not have any options left. So he's going to be on the roster one way or another. And so they have to take somebody off. Uh, it was it was an interesting trade. Uh, you know, I had heard that they were looking for to find a right-handed bat, or they've been talking about needing a right-handed bat to back up Brandon Marsh in center field. And the deal with, with Christian is that, I think it was just two years ago, he was like a top 10 prospect in all of Major League Baseball. He is a out of this world defensive center fielder has not hit though. You look at the numbers, the numbers are not good offensively, but I think the Phillies are hoping that maybe he can figure out some things and get Kevin long working with him. Maybe he can make him at least uh, adequate offensively, but I, I do like the idea of having him come into a game late def- as a defensive replacement, maybe moving Marsh to one of the corners or Pache to one of, one of the corners 
And then you take Castellanos out, Schwarber out, it gives you a better chance to win a close game late. So I think that's the way they're going to go. And Guthrie, though, yeah, that's my bet. It would be Guthrie starting the season in the minor leagues. Yeah, because Cave just had too good of a spring training to uh, now all of a sudden flip him down. Uh, and we'll go to the roster uh, composition in, in a second, but let's look over the other snag, which is the Reese Hoskins injury and, and all the theories on how they're going to replace this. And I guess the most common one is that Hall would try to play as much as he can, and they're more right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers. So occasionally you can switch Bohm to first base, even though I don't like that. I don't like moving a guy back and forth who's made great strides, but is that what you think they would do? I do think that that's the plan right now. You, you roll out Derek Hall pretty much every day, unless you face a real tough lefty, and then you move Alec Bohm over over to first. And I, I agree with you, Mike. Like I'm not a huge fan of of moving Bohm over there once or twice a week, or however often they feel like they need to do that. I would rather just have him stick at third and and and, and play third base, but. I think Derek Hall, he's shown some good signs this spring. He's been hitting the ball the opposite way more. He's actually had a lot more competitive at-bats against lefties. Now, I, I there's a caveat there. The pitching in spring training, you know, is not always the best. It, it could be facing a double-A guy or a triple-A guy, journeyman type of guy. But he has had some better at-bats against lefties. I think they would like to run him out there and see what he can do. He did a really nice job last season DHing while Harper was out. You know, he had an OPS over 800. Uh, had like nine home runs, you know, and like 140 plate appearances. So there are some re- – if you're going to lose somebody for a season, first base is probably the place you could have afforded it the most because Derek Hall, I think, is as, as good of a replacement as they could have for an everyday player uh, right now. Yeah, he he's going to hit right-handers. I, I think he's he's got some pop. By the way, you, you talked about Trey Turner. I, I, I can't see where he wouldn't – he's my front-runner for MVP because of the numbers he can compile. I mean, he – He's a great defensive shortstop. He, he's going to hit 25 to 30 in this ballpark. He's going to steal maybe 40, uh, and he's going to hit 300. So, like, I, to me, he's the front runner. I don't know if, if you feel that way. I, I do. I, I really – I mean, maybe I'm, I'm in the, caught up in the hype of just being down there, but everybody down there in spring training, Phillies coaches, officials, you know, scouts from other teams, they are like, wow, this Trey Turner on the, in this lineup, He's going to do some serious damage. You mentioned the stolen bases. Everybody expects him just to steal a ton. I don't know how much he's going to steal because of the the, the beatdown it can put on your body. And I think the Ricky Henderson days are over. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Larry Bow called him a disruptor at the at the top of the lineup. And I, I really believe that. So I and what I like about Trey Turner too, an intangible, is that he wants to be in Philly. I don't think he's scared of playing in Philly. Um he took $42 million less to come to Philadelphia. You know, he could have gone to San Diego for a much bigger payday. And I know a lot of people go like, what's the difference between $342 million or $300 million? I always go $42 million. That's the difference, you know? Well, well, 21, 21 extra. I, I guess that means. No, I, I, I'm one of those guys that go, dude, what do you, you guarantee $300 million. I, I would think that that's cool. And the quality of life would mean something a little more if you like being in Philadelphia. Uh, all right. So let's, let's, uh, let's look at, at, at the roster. And I just want to go over this with you just so we, uh, and we talked about this in our first segment. So um, let's obviously your, your starting lineup is, uh, well, if we go around the infield, Hall, Stott, Turner, Boehm, um, Castellanos, Marsh, Schwerber, JT. Uh, so they're, they're your eight. Now, now let's go to your bullpen where they'll, they'll take eight. And, and the bullpen is interesting because two new names have surfaced in here that I didn't think would be part of this. And one is uh, Andrew Vasquez and the other is Junior Marte. So the bullpen, as, as it's figured right now, Dominguez, Alvarado, Soto, Brogdon, Kimbrell, Marte, Vasquez, and Bellotti, which means Nick Nelson is not part of it. Yeah, Nick Nelson, he's got like a hamstring in injury right now, so he's kind of dinged up. And that's why Vasquez is on the team, I think. Okay. But Vasquez is a guy that they actually claimed off of waivers a couple times last year. Uh, he's a, like a heavy slider guy. Basically, he's starting the season because he can throw multiple innings, and they need some multiple innings guys right now because Suarez is down because Matt Strom now is the de facto number five starter. Uh, he's, you know, I don't know how much, how many innings he's going to be able to give him early on in the season, but, but he's the number five starter to at least to start. So they needed Vasquez, uh, because 
I think what they're going to hope is that, you know, the days that Strom starts, Vasquez can come in, give you two innings, give you a little bit of, give you a little bit of length. But Junior Marte is, is interesting. Everybody that's seen this, people were really wowed by him in camp. And I'm not saying that this means he's going to be like the surprise of the century or the surprise of the team this year, but, but he throws really, really hard. He's got a great breaking ball. And Rob Thompson was just enamored with him really since the beginning of camp. So he could be an interesting little pickup uh, at the back end of the bullpen. He also can throw multiple. Games. All right. So let's now go into the starter. So Nola Wheeler, uh, this Walker get pushed up to three uh, and then you go falter Strom in that area. Yeah. Without Suarez. Yeah. Without Suarez. So I, I wonder if they might split up the lefties just to, just to give teams a different look. So I guess maybe you could have Bailey Falter start game three. I don't think they've announced exactly how they're going to line it up, but it would be Nola Wheeler, uh, Walker Falter in one of those two spots. And then I would suspect Strom would be the number five. Um, now they say that Suarez's injury is not that serious. You know, he's going to start throwing again. They hope they can get him back soon, but this is the second time now he's been shut down this spring because of an elbow issue. So you always have to be cautious and kind of you know, look at it that way. But, you know, having, having Suarez back was obviously, is obviously big. He was one of their best performers last season. So, they, and I think they would like to have Strom go back in the rotation or back in the bullpen at some point. Now, Andrew Painter is supposed to start playing catch this week. And, and then once he starts playing catch, assuming that the inflammation is out there, this, you know, the injury is out. they they figure it's going to be about a six-week ramp-up, almost like he's going to be starting spring training all over again. But talking to Dave Dabrowski, he is like super, super confident that he's going to be back at some point. So keep an eye on that as well. All right, and, and therein lies the weakness. Um, and this is why I look at their over-under total at 88 and a half, and, and I think it's actually going to be under. Um, you know, that's not a, a deep rotation. It, there's a lot of ifs in, in this rotation until Suarez comes back. And I got to be honest with you, I, I don't know how Wheeler's going to be. Is he going to be the dominant Wheeler? I, I really don't have any idea there. So, um, you know, that to me is is a little problematic. Do you, do you see that as the same way? Yeah, I think the starting pitching depth is is the big thing right now for this team. Like, So you think about it, they lost Suarez, right? And now you're taking the guy, Matt Strom, who you signed to be a high-leverage reliever, two-year, $50 million contract to be a big piece of your bullpen. And now he's your number five starter. And part of that's because they lost a couple other guys to injury, Nick Nelson uh, and Christopher Sanchez. But I was not... I would not be super comfortable with with either of those two guys as the number five starter if, if if they were healthy. You know, like that's not a great situation to be in. So what I think that they're hoping for is that Painter comes back, he's fine, they build him back up, and then he can come by, come back up mid season, and then and then really slide at the top. But Nola and Wheeler to me is are everything for the Phillies right now. You can survive Reese Hoskins. You could survive maybe another injuries. If somebody goes down the bullpen, you could survive, you know, an outfielder going down, but you cannot survive this season, in my opinion, without a healthy and effective Zach Wheeler and a healthy and effective Aaron Nola. Uh, okay. So uh, let's talk about Nola now, because I found it very peculiar that this thing where they cut off negotiations. I, I don't really know what that means. I know you would have uh, kind of insight into that. They haven't been afraid to spend money. Uh, what's the, What would be the holdup here? Because they obviously like Nola. They love Nola. They want to keep him here. So I think they're just way far apart on what the number is. Now, if you look at some of the free agent contracts in the offseason, Carlos Rodon, um, you know, guys like that that, that, that signed in the offseason, huge contracts. And if you compare Nola to Radon and, and some of these other free agents that signed the past couple off seasons, even contract extensions, Nola has been way, way better than them. And I know sometimes it's hard for Phillies fans to kind of see that and how he's viewed on the outside, because in the inside, it, they've seen the struggles down the stretch, right? Other than this past September, they've seen him struggle the past three or four Septembers. And so he's kind of got this, weird kind of relationship, I guess, maybe your, your perception by Phillies fans, but outside of Philly, people look at Aaron Nola as one of the top 10, 15 starting pitches in baseball over the past several years. Uh, certainly in durability, I think he leads major league baseball in innings pitched over the last five years. 
I don't know, Mike, how much you like you value you put into like war and stuff like that, but I know front offices do. If you look at war for starting pitchers over the last five years, he's top five, top 10 starting pitcher in baseball. So I think his agents are going, pay the man as if he's a top 10 pitcher, where I think the Phillies are going, we don't want to pay the guy that much. And so there's a risk there. He, once he hits free agency, he's going to have a lot of people after him, you think. So maybe the Phillies end up ultimately stepping up and getting him. But I do know that they want to keep him keep him around because of his value, for sure. Yeah, I, I see, to me, uh, the Phillies live in a realistic world like we all do, I would think. And, uh, you know, I compare it to people saying Jalen Hurts isn't worth $50 million. Well, guess what? That's going right. And if you got all these contracts, like Carlos Radon is getting paid that kind of money. If I'm Nola's agents, I go, dude. You know, like, what, what, like, well, how am I out of line for asking for this? Absolutely. Especially when you can look at them. All you have to do is take Noah's stats and put them next to Radon's stats and go, see, this is what this guy got. And this is what this guy's done. He's hurt every year. He hasn't been nearly as effective. Now look at Aaron Nola, leads Major League Baseball in innings last five years. Super effective. Uh, he's very productive. And uh, so we think he's worth more than that guy. <laughs> so I agree with you. Like it's, you know, there, there's, there's risk on both sides, right? The Phillies let him go to free agency. All of a sudden the Yankees or some of the Dodgers step up and, and blow him out of the water. The risk, of course, with Nola is that he struggles a little bit this year. He suffers an injury. Now they're like, oh boy. But uh, I think if I'm Aaron Nola and I have the health history that I have, I'm pretty comfortable riding it out and seeing what I can get. Yeah, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I th- with if I'm Nolan, that festers with me. Now I know I'm a different personality, right? He's a laid back Louisiana guy, but like I can't imagine that, that like he wouldn't be thinking. Are you kidding me? Like like they don't have the gratitude of what I've done, and in, in, in light of the fact that the, all these other guys that are inferior to me are getting paid, like that would linger with me. And, and I, you know, at the end, you go, oh, well, screw. It. I'd like to go somewhere else then. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm sure that in the back of his mind, he's like, really, like, yeah, a hundred percent. But I also know that in the end, I've seen enough of these contract negotiations, and, and I, I know you have too. Like in the end, if the dollar signs are there, everybody forgets about. It. I remember years ago, Ryan Howard. Uh, I think he went to arbitration, for, or the Phillies renewed his contract uh, after he won MVP in two thousand six, and they, they gave him like a very modest raise. It was like up to five hundred fifty thousand dollars. And Ryan yeah. Howard said, "You know." I'll remember that. And Cole Hamill said the same <laughs> thing one year after, I think it was 08 World Series MVP. He's like, I'll remember that. You guys renew me. And then lo and behold, everybody, everybody started freaking out, right? Like, they're going to, Cole's not going to come back. Howard, and then all of a sudden you throw $125 million at the guy and they're like, okay, yeah, my feelings aren't so hurt anymore. And, and they signed the deal. So if the money's there at the end, I, I'll see, I can see Aaron staying for sure. Yeah. And that's where the people freaked out. That they gave him that contract at that point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. So let, let's fill out the roster here, and we'll get to some other uh, broader uh, topics. So the, your extra men of five would be Josh Harrison, Cave if he sticks, um, Stubbs, Sosa, and Pache if it's not Guthrie. Right. They're the five. Yeah, those would be the five bench guys right now. Correct. Okay. All right. So so there's your your roster now. Um, are you of the mindset that they go over eighty eight point nine for and and be uh, or under and have to survive in that wild card spot, whatever whatever that puts them in? I, I think they can. I, I think they go over and and here's why I say this. And I um, they were they won what eighty seven games last season, right? But once Rob Thompson took over, they they wanted a ninety six win pace. So I'm going to kind of lean on the Rob Thompson magic. And the expectation that Wheeler is Wheeler and Nola is Nola. Now, if one of those guys stumble or they're injured, then all bets are off. But I really do think that Trey Turner is going to make this lineup really, really dynamic. So uh, the Rob Thompson effect carries over. Nola Wheeler healthy, Trey Turner. I'm going to say over, over. And also because now they're not playing the Mets and the Braves as much anymore. You know, they're, they're going to go through the rest of the league. Um, that that more balanced schedule, I think, is going to really help those NLEs teams out. Uh, uh, sorry, does that win the division? You think your t- does your total win the division, or are they secondary to the Braves and or the Mets? I, yeah, I think th- I think it does not win the division. I, I think they probably go like low nineties, and, and to me, the Braves are still the class of the league. You know, the Mets, you know, obviously very good. 
but the Mets or the Braves for me are, are the class of the division still. So I, I think they don't win the division, but they're a, a very good wild card team and they make and they make the playoffs. Okay, maybe maybe the top wild card seed. Uh, okay, I got it. All right, let me uh, let me ask you about the rules changes. Everybody raving about them. They shaved off uh, what twenty eight minutes yeah. uh, for, for, from a game. I love it. Uh, I know as a guy who covers baseball, you you probably love it. How have the? It looks like the players have adjusted to it as well, except for you know, a couple minor glitches with some beefs on uh, pitch clock violations and such. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be those moments the first month of the season, right, where something crazy is going to happen in a big spot and everybody's going to lose their mind. But I think eventually, like any rule change in the nfl nba you know hockey whatever like people are going to slowly adjust to it i do think the players like it you know some some players of course that move slowly move slowly or more slowly they're gonna kind of gripe about it here and there but in the end i think most players enjoy it for the same reason that you and i enjoy it they don't want to be there for four hours every day you know they they want to get home too you know i figured this out mike um if the average games are a half hour shorter this season, over 162 games, that means I'm going to be getting like three days of my life back every year just by shaving a half hour off every game throughout the entire season. So I like it. I think it speeds it speeds things up. I, I like some of the other rule changes as well. It should create more action on the bases. should create more offense. And, you know, Pat Gillick, one of the most old school baseball people ever, a couple of years ago, I thought put it brilliantly, is like, Baseball is the entertainment business. You need to entertain the pe- your paying customer. And by shortening the games and creating more action, you're creating, you're improving the product. And so that, for that reason, I really like it. Listen, I, I, let's face it. Uh, it's 2023. Uh, our attention span has shrunk to nothing. We live in a microwave society. We, I, I'm an old school baseball guy, right? So I, 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 I wasn't bothered by the shift. I wasn't bothered by the length of the game. I thought it was like a walk in the park type of sport. But now, now I really like it. I, I'm not so sure that I, I like the anti-shift rules because I, I think that that was a strategy that you know was was gleaned over observation and 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 made it. I think it gave your team an advantage. But uh, I, I do you like that? And, and, and do the players like it? I, I, I think it depends who you are. You know, um, I think a guy like Kyle Schwarber loves it, obviously, because like he was shifted on like 96% of his plate appearances last season. Um, I, but I agree with you. If they had not, if they had kept the defensive, the infield shift rule in effect, allow, allowed you to do that, I would have no problem with it because I just think like that's right. You're being smart. You figured out where a guy can hit. He has to adjust. If he can't adjust, so be it. Um, so I would have been cool with it if they had not implemented that rule. But I also see that, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if this is a good example or not. For me, it's, you know, when the NFL, they they gave more freedom to wide receivers to get downfield. You couldn't hold them as much. You got to give them a little bit more freedom. People kind of complain about, oh, you're making the game soft. But, hey, offense is up, and that's just the way it is now. So now you're going to have more base hits to right field for Schwarber and Harper and Derek Hall. And I think. In the end, Phillies fans will like that. And I love the throwover rule. And here's why, Todd, because uh, it it gives it gives less time to idiot fans to boo every time that there's a throwover to first base. I mean, I just can't stand it. <laughs> I, I can't, and it gives it like it only gives them twice now to boo. Right. I, I think it's brilliant. I agree with you. That's a great that's a great little side side bonus of the, uh, the limiting the pickoff moves. You don't have to listen. I, I, so there's there's some things that fans do. Like, what are you possibly thinking? Like, what does why does that elicit a boo? Oh yeah, exactly. Is, to me, it's also like uh, when a, when a pitcher throws like a 69 mile an hour breaking ball and it hits the guy on the leg and the fans lose their mind. I'm like. I don't think he's trying to hurt the guy with a 69-mile-an-hour breaking ball. You know what I mean? Come on. <laughs> yeah, all right. So let me – were you in the ballpark the other day when JT got thrown out of the game for uh, – I was not there, but I was watching it on TV when it happened. That was cool. Uh, okay. Uh, now, li- listen. I, I I don't know who that guy is. I know he's a triple-A ump who occasionally gets uh, some coffee in, in the big leagues. Uh, he should never – umpire game I for your emotions to get involved in, in that kind of a way where you actually thought that JT Romuto of all people was okie doking you with, with a like I just uh, it's flabbergasting to me that that guy hasn't been made to apologize or the Major League Baseball hasn't said anything about it I would love to know like behind the scenes like what conversations were had I, I'm hoping that 
for that umpire, that was a what we like to call a teaching moment <laughs> in terms of handling your emotions and kind of seeing the bigger picture because I think that legit was the first time, first and only time JT's ever been ejected from a game. Like he's not that type of guy that chirps a lot. Uh, you know, you don't really see him get into confrontations with umpires behind the plate where you're like, oh boy, JT's close to getting run here. He's got to, he's got to dial it back. He's not that type of guy. So you, you can very clearly see what happened. I mean, I think everybody in the world is in agreement other than the umpire and, and you know, maybe a uh, crew chief Dan Isonia about, about what happened on that. <laughs> you know, when I first saw it, I said, you know, I haven't played a lot of baseball and knowing umpires and, and I'm thinking, okay, the catcher in this case was probably for several innings under his breath questioning calls, which gets on umpires' nerves and a cumulative effect. When that happened, it was like, okay, now he's trying to really show me up. But it was like just it was a pitch clock discussion on the pitch before that triggered this guy's red ass. Yeah, and I I think also the players now understand, like they it was really drilled in their heads before camp started and game started, like, listen. They're calling the pitchcock violations, so you guys are ready for it once the season starts. So I feel like if it, if JT said anything about it, I don't think it was so extreme that the umpire would like would have lost his cool. Like he might have made a comment, but I think he also knows that they're calling this rule, dude. So you know, it's not like he has a huge case to make. Like this is the rule, so you better deal with it. It was funny though. It yeah, was. I love JT's reaction. Like. He waved to the crowd as uh, to the bullpen as he was yeah. leaving the field. Like he, he took it about as well as he could possibly take it, which kind of tells you that it was absurd, the absurdity of it. Like how how could she even get like angry? I mean, it's like so absurd that you just go, uh, okay, whatever. Uh, all right, last last question. Uh, it uh, involves the uh, World Baseball Classic, which I love, yeah. and uh, uh, I, I felt like um, I don't know. I kind of felt cheated because uh, the Team USA didn't have a, a really good pitching staff because. Pitchers are really afraid to go, and front offices don't really want them to go. I mean, to me, they kind of sharpened, like iron sharpens iron, I think. And I'm looking at all these other countries, and the, the pride that they, and they're using that to actually crank up for the season instead of being afraid of the season. What's your feeling on that, and will that change in three years, the perspective that we have? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So uh, we were talking to Rob Thompson about this. And he mentioned something about the at-bats. So we'll get into the pitching. But he talked about, you know, some guys aren't getting enough at-bats. Like, you know, Schwarber's not playing as much as I had hoped. But then he said he talked with Jim Le- – oh, no, it was Dave Dombrowski. Jim- Dave Dombrowski talked with Jim Leland. And Jim Leland, who managed a World Baseball Classic team when they won, he said, listen, they're not getting as many at-bats, but these are high-intensity at-bats. These are really – this is not single-A kid, 21-year-old, scared to throw a strike, double-A kid. This is – the best of the best, high intense, high pressure situations. So these at bats, in his mind, even though there are fewer at bats, mean more. And so I feel the same thing for the pitchers. And I talked with Taiwan Walker after he got back from the World Baseball Class and asked him the same question you just asked me. I said, "What would you say to these guys that are like, hey, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get ready for the season. Time it's going to affect me." He's like, "I would tell them, you will be fine. Absolutely." Compete in this environment. It's an environment unlike any other, and it is an experience you will never forget. And uh, it sounds like that is going to be a big focus for Team USA going forward. I, I talked with Bryce Harper about it a couple of weeks ago, and he was already tech. He was already texting with Mike Trout, saying we got to start recruiting for three years from now. So I think that's going to be a real. It's going to be interesting three years from now what the pitching staff looks like because if Bryce Harper has his way, Mike Trout has his way. And some of these other pitchers that competed have their way. They're going to get the Wheelers and the Nolas and the Scherzers and the Verlanders in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, it's like uh, how they put the dream team together uh, at the NBA. They got embarrassed that they lost, and, and so we're not going to lose again. And, and I saw Tr- Trout strike out, and there was no frivolity in that. because Everybody thought it was all, what a great moment of telling he strikes out his teammate. Trout was pissed off and embarrassed, right? You could just tell. So, like, he's got, like, in his mind, he's doing, you know, son of a bitch. Next time, I'm like, we're going to load up on all these pitchers. I, I had to face all these jackets. Japanese guys that threw 96 with a split. Like, Where do you see our action coming up in three years? Uh, you know, I can just read it in his head. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You could tell he was upset about it. And everybody that came back from it said it was super. I mean, Garrett Stubb played for Team Israel. They got knocked out right away. But 
he had that big double in one of those games. He said, honestly, it was like one of the biggest moments of my baseball career. And he would recommend it to anybody. So yeah, hopefully they do bring in some of these top guns. Hey, maybe three years from now, it's going to be Andrew Painter, you know, tone the slap for team USA. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, your, your view of the cappuccino machine in team Italy's dugout. <laughs> I wish that was tremendous. That was tremendous. I love those little details that came out of that, out of this whole uh, tournament were just fantastic. You know, it was, it's really cool. And I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I hope it keeps getting bigger and bigger because, uh, you know, it, it's just fun to see those moments. All right, brother. Listen, I appreciate you taking some time. Uh, opening day here, uh, baseball season is upon us, as, and it's a good darn thing because the Final Four kind of is uninteresting <laughs> this year. So I can't wait for this baseball season to start and in the Masters and all that. Todd Zalecki covering the Phillies for uh, MLB. Uh, Todd, have a great season, and hopefully we we talk to you uh, many times this year. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, thanks so much to Todd Zalecki for joining us with his insight as the Phillies beat writer. You know what it's time for now on the Mike Missanelli Podcast. Mike Unleashed, where my brain goes off on various tangents, whether it's sports or whether it's life. So let's see what's on my mind today. Let me let me let me tune into the chip. That was implanted in my mind many years ago, and we'll start it up. And then we'll start with the Sixers last night. The Sixers with a big win over the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I feel sorry for the Mavericks, man. They, you know, they they thought they had this grand plan to bring in Kyrie Irving and pair him with Luka. It ain't working. They controlled the game the whole game until the fourth quarter. So uh, let's look into the, uh, the circumstance of last night because the Philadelphia 76ers center played last night. Which is really interesting because we had all this consternation nationally for the national pundits about Embiid ducking Jokic on Monday night in Denver. Low-hanging fruit, ridiculous. Um, and I was listening to a guy, I listened to a lot of NBA radio. In fact, today, this morning, I, I was on the starting uh, lineup with uh, my buddy Frank Isola. Frank and I go way back. He hosts the morning show on uh, Sirius uh, XM NBA radio. Uh, and so we were talking about this last night and the, 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 the discussion that goes on about who's going to be the MVP, which frankly I think is, is stupid and uh, I don't care about it that much. But what I care about is the people that try to make the case that Jokic should be the MVP over Embiid because they're Embiid haters uh, and why they hate Embiid is beyond me. But uh, they, they rely on these foolish premises. Well, he doesn't play enough games. He doesn't dominate enough. He goes through the motions a lot, which is all horse shit. So uh, let me first uh, go into this. I'm, I'm listening to uh, this guy, Kamla, uh, uh, who does a, a show with Antonio Daniels. Uh, and, and so he's chirping. He goes, oh, you know, I'm going to be really paying attention to Wednesday night because uh, if MB doesn't play, then obviously he was hurt. But if he plays, you know, that, that really uh, ignites the, the discussion that he was ducking Jokic which is the stupidest take you could possibly have because when you really look at it, the only thing the Sixers probably did wrong was not having Embiid sit out the second game of that three-game road trip against the Phoenix Suns. But I have many theories on why they would have done that. So here are a couple theories. Uh, the Sixers, I'm sure, encouraged Embiid not to play because they figured, you know, this is a guy, even though he's a little banged up in the calf, he's going to try to want to one-up Jokic and maybe he spills his bucket and he overextends himself and he gets hurt and it's worse for us so we don't really need him to play he's proven enough against Jokic the last time they played he dominated maybe it was Embiid saying the same thing maybe it was Embiid saying you know what I'm in a weakened state am I going to give people another um, a reason why not to make me MVP if Jokic outplays me tonight when I'm in a weakened state so the bottom line is these idiots they keep going down that path that he was ducking Jokic. There was a legitimate reason for him not to play in that game. It's it's a, it's a, a league of, of load management now. Like, what are we oblivious to that? The only thing that matters in the NBA are the playoffs. And the only thing that matters to fans is whether you're healthy enough to have your full team in the playoffs. So you can't bitch that a guy doesn't play a regular season game and then say, oh, look at that, he's hurt in the playoffs. All right? So they're, they're trying to preserve the fact that he's not hurt come playoffs, all right? And that other, uh, you know, Darren, your buddy, uh, uh, Christopher Russo, was, was yelling about the same thing. Christopher Russo, and he's talking, and, well, he he, he, he he played in Phoenix. Uh, you know, so, I played nothing, Mike. Like, <laughs> he's loud. Like, Shut the hell up, all right? So he played last night. It means nothing that he was I mean, ducking Jokic. It just happens to be going to need a rest. And he played last night, and the Sixers went. So I'm watching the game, and I'm watching another Miserable. 
I'm, I'm watching Luka Doncic, who, who's a great talent in the league. That guy is such a baby and a candy-ass moaner. I've, I've never seen anything like it. The guy, the guy's on top of it. He's a great basketball player. He's got 16 technicals. For what reason? The, the guy goes out there. He's moping around. Whoa, is me. He's like Eeyore out there. He's always got a mushy face on it. You know, oh, I'm so unhappy here. You're so unhappy. You're one of the great players in the league, all right? Your team's not good enough to win. All right, you got crap on the front line. You're not going to win with those guys, even though Kyrie comes in here. But this every day, looking at the officials, and he's just eyeballing them and the whole bit. He's miserable. And I look at the guy I go, he's a great player. How is he a great player being so fat? <laughs> like, I, I stop, like I look at Luka Doncic and go, you got to be the softest looking great player I've ever seen. I don't know how he gets it done, but he does. He's a great player. But Luka. It, life is not so bad for you, my friend. You're, you're doing fine. The officials aren't picking on you. Play the freaking game. All right. So I had to get it out of my chest. All right. The final four coming up. Nobody gives a crap about the final four. Nobody does. I, I, there's not one person I've heard talk about the final four. There's no glamour teams in there. So, But it doesn't mean it's not going to be good basketball. So if you like college basketball, you watch the final four. I, I, I like college basketball, and I'm not even interested in it. Right, like I'm looking at the, these games, and I'm looking. All right, so it's FAU uh, versus San Diego State. It's six and nine on Saturday. San Diego State minus two. I can't call that. I have no idea. And then eight forty nine, you got the Miami versus UConn, um, and UConn's minus five and a half. Now everybody's in love with UConn right now. Miami's tough. So if I had to bet, which I would not, because I'm on a terrible streak right now, and I'm going to tell you how desperate I was that I'm on a terrible streak, trying to gain back a little money the other night. But anyway, if I'm betting the game, I would probably take Miami with the five and a half. I, I think Miami's tough enough to keep it close with UConn winning the game. So here's how desperate I was the other day, Darren. I'm looking at, like, my God, I've lost like six in a row. And I'm not making these outlandish bets. I'm making money line bets. And I, and I, I can't like get a bead on these teams. Um, so I look at the NIT. There's an NIT game that's on. Oh my and I, God! All right, oh. uh, okay, so it's Wisconsin from the Big Bad Big Ten against North Texas, which plays in Conference USA. So I'm watching the game. I haven't bet the game yet. I'm watching the game, and Wisconsin gets it to a ten-two lead. I go, right, Wisconsin is just too, you know, they're too superior. This North Texas team, at least playing a Big Ten, they're not a great team, but they should be able to survive in this game. So. I look at at the Bet Rivers app, and I get a reasonable money line purchase with Wisconsin up eight. I go, what the hell? I take a shot on Wisconsin. I don't watch the game. I go do my business. I go do other things. I come back to the game. It's the fourth quarter, and it's like a tie game. And apparently, North Texas made this crazy comeback late in the second half. They wind up winning the game. So I lost that money line bet, which is why I'm so skittish. I might not bet another game until football season now because I don't bet baseball, and I can't call this Final Four. So You sunk to North Texas in the NIT. I lost betting against North Texas, which is God's message to me. Yo, Holmes, take a break break and figure it out. Uh, (laughs) All right, uh, so there's that. All right, now let me – Invariably, when you watch these games, you're not watching it. They're going to bring their uh, officiating expert. There's now an officiating expert as part of the broadcast, an ex-official who interprets the play and looks at the replay and tells you what's going to be called. And in this case, Gene Steratore. And I like Gene Steratore. I like his style, right? He's a classic yinzer. He's from, he's like a Western PA, Pittsburgh accent type of guy. You can tell it in, in three words that he says, Right. Uh, well, I, I tell you, I, I am sick of these guys being loath to criticize their former brethren. Nobody does it. I mean, like, nobody is going to call, like, oh, that was a bad call. I think he missed that one, Jim. Right? And they, they never say that. They talk around it. Like, there's a blatant, they blatantly missed the call. The replay is going to show they missed the call, but they have to somehow tiptoe and not blame the official for getting the call wrong. Like, I tried to watch Gene Steratore interpret that final, whether it was a foul or not, in the Creighton game. And uh, and, and and he could not commit to it. Everybody said, no, that's clearly a foul. I mean, Jay Wright was even saying, it's clearly a foul. You're impeding the, 
the shooters probably. But do you make the call at that point? They could. Yes, you make the call when you impede, every time you impede a shooter, they're going to make that call. It's like people go, "Well, it's physical all game." Well, yeah, but it's not. It's never physical against a shooter. When there's a foul, the shooter they're always going to call that. So it doesn't matter if if they weren't calling it closely and it was a physical game. As long as the shooter is impeded, they're going to call that. So. Uh, Let's get a little more honesty. You know, those guys will still talk to you, or maybe they won't. But what do you care? You can pay by the network now. They're slumping around for like two hundred dollars a game, <laughs> still officiating. All right. So can, hold on. Can I add something there, Mike? Gene Steratore, ten nine and a half out of ten people who know who Gene Steratore is only know him as an NFL referee or an ex retired NFL ref. Yeah, he was the last. He was the official when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Right. So, but my question is, what they, the the networks can't find an ex basketball ref to make that, those calls, those studies. He officiated uh, college basketball for years. Oh well, I mean, most people know him though in the NFL. I would, I would think that they could find somebody more known. Oh yeah, but he he's got just as many years uh, uh, officiating college basketball as he does football. So, uh, I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, okay. It is time now. Uh, that was Mike Unleashed. Uh, three questions for Mike, which is kind of a cousin of Mike Unleashed. So what do you got today, Darren? Uh, yeah, here we go. Three questions for Mike you missed today. It is opening day, so let's keep a little bit on the baseball relation here. Mike, do you have a favorite baseball uniform? It could be a college uniform. It could be a minor league. Uh, you know, a lot of people say the Yankee pinstripes are the classic. A lot of people in Philly love the Phillies powder blues. What's your favorite baseball uniform? Well, listen. My favorite baseball uniform of all time is the one I wore for good old state. I mean, it was block block letters Penn State across the across my chest. I mean, that was the proudest baseball uniform I ever ever wore. And I had a hat, and it had a, it was a terrible hat. It had a circle, and it had just a P and an S in it. it, it now they've gotten more, fancier. But uh, that's my favorite. But if you're asking me what my favorite uniform is, uh, baseball wise, it's this. I hate to say this because I hate to patronize baseball heaven, but the St. Louis Cardinals. Is the classic uniform with the Cardinals with the bat and the Cardinal on both ends of the bat. I mean, you can't do any better. You know, everybody goes with the Yankees and the classic pinstripes. Yeah, screw that. I'm going to go with the Cardinal, a little more decorative. And I, I like the red and I like the red bird. So I'm going to go uh, 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 Cardinals on that one. Cannot argue with you there. Question number two, Mike. Who has the most pressure on the Phillies? Could be a player. Could be the general manager, could be a coach, a manager. Who has the most pressure in, on the Phillies in 2023? Well, it's not the manager uh, because managers really, to me, are fairly irrelevant in the overall scope of things. Uh, so who has the most pressure is a very interesting question. Uh, I would go with Nick Castellanos. And uh, I know over the last couple of days of spring training, people were uh, excited that he's back and he's going to have a bounce back year. I'm not so sure about that. I, I, you know, I looked at his swing. We were down spring training. I was looking at it a lot. And he, he's really looping still, uh, looping his swing. It doesn't look like he's driving a ball. He's like undercutting loop uh, swing. So I, I, I think he's confused. His swing is all shoulders. He doesn't use the lower half of his body at all. Yeah, I, I mean, so to me, he's got the most pressure because – you know, Harper's out of the lineup. He's key in, in providing some more offense for them. I mean, you can't just rely on, on Trey Turner and, and Schwarber. Uh, I mean, I think Bohm's going to have a good year. He doesn't have any pressure. I think Castellanos has a lot of pressure on him as a bounce back year because they're looking for him to produce and all eyes are going to be on him. And I don't know that his mental framework is that great either. So uh, I would go with him and I would also go with Wheeler. As a starting pitcher, you know, I've expressed my reservations about whether he can get back to that dominant self uh, when he get when he's a year older after he wore down last year. So to me, those two guys have the most pressure on him. Zach Wheeler will be 33 years old next month, end of May. Uh, I kind of agree with you on Castellanos, by the way, especially when you factor in uh, that hundred million dollar contract. Question number three, Mike, give me give me an opening day memory. Could be you as a player, could be you as a fan, could be you as a reporter. Uh, and just give me like a good opening day memory that you had that kind of, you know, is is, re is reverent to you. I don't really have an opening day memory because I've always like, like as a journalist, if you're covering it like 
there's really nothing memorable. As a fan, you look at it and go, it's one of 162. So, uh, but, you know, I have particular baseball memories, but they're not necessarily uh, opening day memories. The thing I like about opening day, whether I was a player or not, was that finally you're playing for something meaningful. Like, you you know, you can practice all you want. And you're in a game, there's there's a butterfly uh, part of it if you're a fan, but certainly if you're a player. So that's that's the thing that opening day represents to me, the excitement of a new season that's a really long season and a grueling season that you're going to have to negotiate. But there are two particular uh, baseball memories that I have, and they, and they both stick in my mind completely. Uh, and, and one, I was talking about this Reggie Jackson documentary that's on Prime. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and I was a, a Reggie fan. Like, he was the guy, like, when I was growing up, I was captivated by Reggie Jackson as an Oakland A, where he came up and he had this swagger and he had this beautiful swing and from the left side. And he was sleek and, and, and athletic and, and the whole bit. And, I, you know, I never never seen baseball players like that. So I was enamored. Somehow I wound up uh, the year, his rookie year, and I believe that rookie year or was the year after, he had 30 home runs at the All-Star break. And I was just a monster fan. And somehow there was this bus trip to Yankee Stadium in my little hometown. And I think it was uh, the St. Anne's Athletic Association sponsored bus trip. And they got, lo and behold, they're playing the Oakland A's. I was like, beg my father to get on this trip. So we we did go up there and I see Reggie and I'm like, wide eye. And, and he hits a home run. And I was like, oh my God, look at this. I, I came to see him play. It's the home run. Now, Reggie Jackson was the guy always. And I for that I love the Oakland A's back in the day. I loved everything that was different about them. The uniforms, the white spikes. The, and I can recite almost every starting player on that team. I had Joe Rudy in left field. Sal Bando was the third baseman. Gene Tennyson and 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 Dave Duncan were the first base. At, at first base, it was, the second base was Dick Green. Uh, at first base was Mike Epstein. And I, I can go ahead and Billy North in center field with Rick Monday before that. The whole bit. Uh, so, uh, Reg, but there was also, uh, I, I, I remember this clearly. And I may have been five years old. My dad takes me to Connie Mack Stadium because Willie Mays was also a guy that like, like he was the first hero I ever had. So that's how I go, far I go back. So Willie Mays, what I loved about him was how, how dashing he was on a baseball field. He ran. Everything he did was hard. He was in a, like a swashbuckling baseball player. So they're playing the fight and fills who weren't that very good at that time. And uh, here's Willie Mays. On second base, and there's a base hit the right field. The Phillies right fielder was Johnny Callison, who the one thing he had was a crazy accurate and uh, uh, strong arm from right field. Base hit, line drive. Callison picks it up. Willie Mays comes flying around third base, and there's going to be a play at the plate. The catcher is Pat Corrales for the Phillies, who wound up being a manager in baseball a little bit. The throw comes in on one hop. Corrales gets it. Willie Mays is flying towards the plate. He goes into a slide with a spike high, and he bangs Pat Corrales in the head. Boom! Knocks him out cold and scores the run. Wow. And I was talking about this on my radio show. A guy sends me a picture from the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin of Pat Corrales being knocked out, laying down at home play, and Willie Mays kind of like hovering wow. over him after he had scored the run. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm five. And I go, I was like, my, my eyes were popping out of my head with that play at the plate. The guy was knocked out. They had to take him off the field in the stretcher. Wow. And Willie May scored the run. And I, I'll never forget. See, that's what I was, exact answers that I was hoping to get out of you for that question. <laughs> oh, man. It was like, I was like stunned. I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak literally for the rest of the game in the whole way home. Wow. I was like, oh. <laughs> Uh, that's great, man. Those are great memories, right? That's exactly the kind of answers I was hoping for. Yeah. Great stuff. That, that is three. Obviously. A great three questions uh, for Mikey Miss. All right. Okay, let's end it today with my thought of the day. You know, I'm looking at a billboard uh, as I'm going over the Walt Whitman Bridge. See, big billboard. Sting is going to be in Atlantic City. Uh, performing in uh, September. And they're going, Sting. You know, I I really have one feeling one way or the other about Sting. I like the police when uh, the three-man rock band and uh, the album I had, Zenyatta Mandata, uh, and uh, 
I like the police, but I didn't really like Sting that much. And I started thinking about Sting. All right, what's he known for? Uh, if you love someone, set them free. And I said, that's the biggest bunch of shit I've ever heard. Like the, the, the notion, if you love somebody, set them free. Like I'm the opposite of that. Like it, it's like F them. If you set them free, what they, so they're breaking up with me. I go, oh, yes, I'm so selfless. Uh, of setting you free to love somebody else like that never made any sense to me does that make sense to you darren no no i don't get that either i don't know if he meant it like that or what his actual meaning behind that song is but uh no it doesn't make a lot of sense yeah you know, i go if i love somebody i'm not setting him free yeah you want to stay with I'm, I'm hiring somebody to jack up the new boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> Or you, or you just say, "I want to be with you. I love you." <laughs> yeah, set them free. No, I don't want to be with you. If you love, so if you love me, you'll set me free. No, I won't. Yeah. I, I, I'm bitter, and and I'm gonna try to make your life a mis- a living hell. That's what. That's the way I feel about it. So I always thought Sting was lying. All right, so that's my that's my thought of the day for today. That concludes today's Mike Missnelli podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Baseball season is starting. We'll be uh, there to talk about it next week. Phillies and the Texas Rangers today. Jacob DeGrom against uh, Aaron Nola should be exciting. Uh, Have a great rest of the night, everybody. Hey, Mike, it's also opening day for Marlton Middle Softball. My Daniela out there, the third base today. Opening day. Oh, well, there you go. Well, good luck to Danielle in in the softball game. Uh, By the way, it's brought to us by Bet Rivers. If you want to get in touch with me, it's Mike at MikeMiss.com. And uh, all the other stuff I'm doing, you know what it is. The Cameo, the, the winery, uh, the children's book. Uh, please patronize me. I'm a semi-retired guy living on a fixed income right now. Help me out, people. All right? Uh, I'm going to go, and now I'm going to power wash my hot tub. So take care, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Miss and Ellie podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.